You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. The book of Job, chapter 38. The book of Job, chapter 38, starting in verse 1. There must be something good back there at the snack table. Because um, everybody's back there. Okay, uh, the book of Job is a very interesting book. Um, just before we read this passage, I say that the book of Job, the, the guy named Job, uh, goes through a really hard time and has a couple friends come to him and they say things. They, they say, oh, God is like this. He's black and white. He's in this box. And, and here's how we explain God. If you're good, then God will give you good stuff. If you're bad, then God will punish you. And so that's their whole understanding of God, that if good things happen, then God, you're good. If bad things happen, then, then you did something wrong. And, and God is much bigger than that. God is is huge and sometimes bad things happen to good people and sometimes really good stuff happens to bad people and uh after the friends kind of try to explain god i mean 38 chapters of trying to explain god away god finally speaks for himself are you ready to hear what god has to speak about himself because if you're not ready we, i mean we could do something else are you ready all right uh <laughs> sorry i'm just re- i had a lot of coffee this morning already Uh, Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Everybody say, Oh, dang. It seems like God is very sarcastic here. And uh, God is is showing he's all-powerful. Verse 3 says, Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstones? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. And then skip, skip to verse 17. I think this is very interesting. Talking about um, afterlife and, and, and who God is and how he has dominion over everything. Verse 17 have the gates of death been shown to you? Have the gates of the sha- have you seen the gates of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. Do you see it? I mean, it should be. It should bring a little bit of a kind of a smirk to your face, thinking like God is God is just bringing it right here. He's saying, "Here I am. Where were you when the earth was laid out? Where were you when when I created light?" And uh, God is God, but and and we He is not in a box. There's some theological things we can know about God that we're going to get into today. But by no means are we just explaining away God because He is. He's above us. He's transcendent, this big word that we're going to learn today. So would you bow your head and pray with me this morning? Let's invite his presence in here. Jesus, we know that you're already in here. We recognize your presence, Jesus. God, we love you. God, we honor you. Would you open our hearts? Would you open our minds this morning? God, speak to us in new ways that we might know you better, that we might know more about you being above us and unknowable, but at the same time present to us and guiding us, and you have revealed yourself to us. God, show us your mercy. Show us your love. God, we honor you and give you all praise. And everybody screamed? Amen. Amen. Thank you for screaming. Um, uh, let me tell you a quick story before I, I welcome you and stuff like that. When I was a kid, um, I was very, like some kids when they're like really little, they, they have conversations with their parents. and They're like, mommy, daddy, what, what sound does a cow make? And the, and the mommy, daddy's like, moo. And the kid's like, oh my gosh, that's so funny. Uh, and what sound does a rooster make? And mommy and daddy are like, cock-a-doodle-doo. And the kid's like, oh, that's a good one. That's so funny. I was, I was kind of a weird little kid. And I, um, at the same time, I should be asking like, what sounds do a cow make? I was, and maybe it was just God inside of me preparing me to be a pastor that I am now. But I was asking questions like, Mommy, Daddy, what's the spirit? <laughs> Where does the spirit live? Can you see the spirit? What color is the spirit? Uh, and I asked, you could ask my parents, I asked deep questions about, so does the spirit live on after life? I mean, deep 
theological questions and my parents were just like, I, I don't know. The cow says moo. <laughs> and I had to, I just was very interested in the spiritual realm. And uh, I, I think I told this story or just kind of shared this another time that I was, as a kid, I was raised Catholic and I had some really good experiences being raised as a Catholic. And one thing Catholics do that usually we don't do um, is, is the, the sign of the cross in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, before before prayer, after prayer, um, various occasions, they'll, they'll do the sign of the cross. And for some reason, I thought that the sign of the cross just forgive, forgave you of all sins. And so my big sin, probably when I was a little older, like kindergarten, was cussing. <laughs> I'd learn some words at the playground and then start using those words. Um, <laughs> beep, beep, bleep. <laughs> and, uh, and I knew it was wrong, you know, like, you little bleep. And then I would, bleep, bleep. And every time I swore, bleep, I'd cross myself. And, and I just, I, if you looked outside your window and saw me playing and just kind of talking to myself, you'd just think I was insane <laughs> as a little kid because I had just this, I just made up theology that, that the sign of the cross forgave me of all sins. And so I would, I would cuss and, and cross myself. <laughs> And uh, and I also remember, um, I think I had this idea, I think probably when I was a little younger, maybe I had this theology that, that God was up in the heavens, obviously, uh, clearly, and he was looking down, and uh, obviously he could see through buildings, but I had this theology as a kid that he couldn't see very well, um, like looking straight down. So let's say like this marker here, if I wanted to steal this marker, um, I, I couldn't reach out like this because then God would see me. So, so if I wanted to steal something or if I was doing something wrong, I'd just kind of walk by and whoop. Just kind of, you know, just kind of keep myself perpendicular with or parallel with the, the vertical so that God couldn't see me, so I could get away with murder and, and God wouldn't see me. And I, so I made that up in my head. I was just thinking through this the other day and I made up, uh, I guess I didn't make this up, I heard, I heard the golden rule, which Jesus says. you know the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? Um, and so I had a little brother. And how many of you had, a, if you're a guy, if you're a guy and you had a little brother, anybody? Yeah, quite a few of you. One of the things guys like to do with their little brothers is beat them up. <laughs> and I, I still, still do that. It's fun. I think my brother has been working out. He's a lot bigger than me now, so I'm not dumb enough to do that anymore. Um, but, uh, but as a kid, like I was bad. I was kind of a bad kid, and I really, I was really mean to my brother. And I had this theology that I just kind of made up. That there was the application of the golden rule that said, "Do unto others as they would do unto you." And so I thought, man, I love getting in fights with my little brother. I'm going to get into a fight with him because that's what I would want him to do to me. <laughs> you see the big problem with that, right? I mean, it's the whole. Um, <laughs> and so you did, I just made stuff up as a kid. That I had no, I mean, I just kind of thought it. I was like, oh, thinking through things. I'm like, yeah, if God lives up there and he's looking down, then maybe he can't see very well if I'm, you know, really close to the marker trying to steal it. Uh, I just made stuff up. And I think as humans, we all kind of do that. We just kind of have theologies sometimes that are just in our own heads and our own thinking. We just kind of have made stuff up. And then we believe that about God. But um, there's two things I want to teach about this morning. This whole month, by the way, is the study of God. The doctrine, the nature of God himself. So we're going to be looking at that all this month with various speakers and myself coming back at the end of the month. Um, who God is. And so this morning, I thought one of the most important lessons that I've learned about God is that he is above his creation. He's unknowable. And, and there's a big word that we're going to get to called transcendence. Everybody say transcendence. Um, and then the other big theological word is called imminence, meaning God is with us. He's, he's around us. He's present in our life. He's guiding us. He cares about us. Everybody say imminence. Imminence. Beautiful. Thank you. Those are, I mean, if, you, if you've never heard those words before, that's cool. That's fine because that's why we're in here. We're in here to learn about big stuff and theological terms, not just heady knowledge, but I believe this has real application. So we're about to jump into that. But before we do so, um, I see lots of new people. Uh, if you're if you're first time to the Mill Sunday School, maybe you came to the Mill on Friday night. If you filled out a first timer card, it's the same card. Mill Sunday School Mill, same first timer card as as you might have filled out on Friday night. If you haven't filled out one of these, I think they're on your tables. It might be like an Easter egg hunt to try to find them. 
Um, but if, if you find one of these uh, and you're in and your and you're first time-ish, if you fill it out and uh, give us your information and then give it to Joel here at the info table after the Mill Sunday School, he will give you a CD, and that CD has some songs on it and some uh, like a welcome and a little sermon just as a gift for saying, thanks for coming your first time. Because we treat our first time guests well. <laughs> Very good. Um, so... Uh, yeah, there's that. Um, how many of you all are going to go to Africa? Yes, I am going to Africa as well. If there's any question about the Mill Sunday School, uh, the Mill Sunday School is continuing on, even though 260-ish people are leaving from the Mill and, and going to all over Africa. And, and so I'm going too. And so uh, next week, do you guys know Dan Perkins from The Furnace? Uh, he's he's got he's got a message about god specifically god's love and then uh after that we have another speaker that's going to talk about how god responds to us aaron stern is going to be bringing it in here about god's uh justice and mercy which which is a really cool subject the whole idea of how can god be full of justice and and passages about his vengeance and carrying out things punishments but at the same time be merciful it seems like those two things are opposite, at least in my head. It's like, well, is, is God just full of justice or is he full of mercy? Well, he's both. And how do they, how do they in, intermingle? In fact, as we, as we jump into the topic today, in your notes, it says, uh, if you're taking notes, it says, two opposites, and of course you have the, the, the quotations, two opposites are true. And one of those two opposites about our God that's true is his justice and mercy. It seems like there's some things, and quite a few, about our God or in the Christian belief where it seems like two opposite things are true. Um, and this isn't like, like yin and yang, like everything has evil and goodness in it. Is, is our God evil? No, he's not. He's all good. And so it's not like God is evil and good. I mean, some things aren't reconcilable opposites. But there's some things that are opposites that, that are both true, like his justice and mercy. Seems like those are opposites, but they're both true. His transcendence and eminence seems like they're kind of opposites. He, but he's above us. He's also with us. How can they both be true? Has anyone ever thought of the Trinity? God is three persons and yet one God. Seem kind of different, don't they? Three is different than one, right? How can they both be true? Um, what about uh, Jesus himself? He's God, fully God, right? And yet fully a human being, Right? Yes, he is. And so how can this individual in time and, and on earth be both God and human at the same time? Well, which one is it? Is he above us or is he with us? Well, which one is it? Is he full of justice or is he full of mercy? Would you like to see a science experiment done before your very eyes? If you have a, like a pencil or a pen on your table, um, pick it up and, and put it on your, on your fingers like this. This will be really fun. It's amazing. If you're not doing it, you are seriously missing out. <laughs> not really. I just say that to coax you. Uh, <laughs> if, if move your fingers. Try to just move one, like to the middle and past the middle. It's impossible. Isn't that cool? Do you see what it's doing? It's because of friction and balance. Um, it has two balancing points. Whoa, it's so hard. And if you move, if you try to just move one in. You can't really do it. It kind of just surprisingly finds its own center. And uh, don't read too much into this analogy. But if we have two things that are both true, um, that foundationally, they will surprisingly move to the middle and both will still be true. And, um, and so God's threeness, God's oneness, God's justice, God's mercy, God's uh, Jesus, his human and divine abilities... Uh, or his divine nature inside of him. So uh, let's talk about transcendence. Um, let me give you, I'm going to erase this. Sunday school does rock, by the way. Whoever put that up is a genius. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was, it was my wife. <laughs> She's really cool. Um, let's see. I'm going to erase this. I'm going to put up the term transcendence, and I'm just going to give you, um, I think it's a four-word definition of transcendence. So if you're taking notes, you could put something similar. Um, I think notes are cool. I mean, I, I, even if you, like, take the notes and just throw them away right afterwards, I think they're, I think they're still learning in writing. At least I kind of learned that way by taking notes. So I have the term here, transcendence. 
And this term really means um, God is above us. God is above us. I mean, like, I mean, just really simplifying the definition. And then the other word, eminence, I'm going to write it down. Uh, let's see, make sure I don't spell it wrong. Look really silly. Wouldn't be the first time, trust me. <laughs> is transcendence wrong? Dang it. <laughs> Who said that? Wouldn't be the first time today. Dang it. Transcendence. You know what it is. You know how you have dreams sometimes and you're like naked in your dreams? I have dreams about misspelling words and everybody laughing. So <laughs> thanks, thanks for being a part of that nightmare. <laughs> yeah, anyways, we could, we could go into that all day. Uh, okay, transcendence. God is, above, God, God, God is with us. Um, and so transcendence has more to do than just God above us. Let me read some of the things that this says. The definition of transcendence is God is creator of and independent of our universe. God is the creator of and independent of our universe. Kind of like God is unknowable. I really like that. God is creator of and independent of our universe. He is as uh, I believe as Aristotle and then Thomas Aquinas kind of jumped on these ideas, God is the uncreated creator. That's kind of cool. I like that. It's Aristotle's original language, but uh, God is an uncreated creator. He's the unknowable knower. It's kind of cool. Here's what, uh, the, by the way, the back of your, we call these skillets. On the back of your skillet is a quote from A.W. Tozer. He wrote a really cool book called... Uh, uh, the Knowledge of the Holy. I had, I had it up here somewhere. The Knowledge of the Holy. It's a small little book, but it's packed full of just like deep theology. Has anybody ever read it? A.W. Tozer, Knowledge of the Holy. It's, it's a book that we talk about around here at the mill. Aaron Stern really likes it. I believe he still says that besides the Bible, it is his favorite book of all time. And A.W. Tozer, um, I just think the name is cool. What if he called you? Hey, what's up, A.W.? <laughs> That'd be cool. My, my middle initials are, are J.P., Joe Paul. What's up, J.P.? What's up? Um, anyways, A.W. Tozer said he, this is about God and about God's transcendence. So this is all about God's transcendence now. He is exalted far above the created universe, so far above that human thought cannot imagine it. That there is, that this idea of transcendence means that God is God, and we are not God. His ways are not our ways, like the Bible says. His, um, his thoughts are not our thoughts, and he is far above us. He is far exalted above the created universe, so far that human thought cannot imagine it. And so we have these, these ideas of God. we cannot even imagine who God is, yet at the same time, he's eminent. We can understand. He is with us. And so we have these two almost polar opposites both being true. And if you just have transcendence as being true, um, if you're drawing this line, like over here, it'd be like a dotted line. And uh, like we, we are not deists. Here's deists. A deist is, is someone or is a belief system that, um, that says that God is totally transcendent, so much so that he is not imminent at all. He is so transcendent. I think I gave this analogy another time. We're talking about something else. That God, um, like if this is like, remember like the old clocks, like before we were born, didn't have a battery in them, and so you have to wind them up. Remember that? Like back, back in the dinosaur days or something. Uh, so you'd wind up this clock, and you'd set it, and it would take time. It'd keep time for, for hours, days, months, whatever. Um, and so it's kind of like God took the universe, this marker eraser thingy being the universe, and kind of wound it up like a stop clock and then put it down. And he's just like, peace out. I got some better things to do over here. I'm going to be over here for a little while. And God just totally left his creation alone. That's what a deist believes. That is not Christian theology, by the way. That, that what we would consider that a heresy if someone was like, yeah, I believe that God created, and then he just totally left his, his creation um, aside and never came back to it. We would say, 
But that's not, that's not Christianity. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says when we pray to God, does he listen to us? Yeah, he does. Does he see everything? Does he know everything? Is he here with us? Yes, of course, he is. And um, I think there's this popular idea today that says that, um, I think it's very like a scientific idea. And uh, I heard Ravi Zacharias. Does anybody know Ravi Zacharias? He's a fellow nerd like us. I mean, we're all kind of nerdy in here. It's the middle Sunday school. It's a safe place for nerds, by the way. Um, Ravi Zacharias talks about holding an apple, right? And, and so if you're looking at this apple in your hand, and you're like, uh, as a scientist or as someone that's maybe never, ever seen an apple, just imagine, uh, and you're like, wow, where did that apple come from? How can we explain the origins of this apple? I mean, it's so beautiful. It tastes so good. Where in the world, literally, like where in the universe did this thing come from? And you're trying to explain where this creation came from. And then you find the apple tree. And you're like, wow, the apple tree, that's where the apple came from. Does the apple tree have every explanation as to where this apple came from? Not really, because then you're like, well, where, where did that tree come from? And he's like, well, maybe another apple. Uh, and then th- that seed. And you're like, okay, but then where did that seed come from? And then where did that seed come from? And then some scientists will go into deep explanations of evolution and like, oh, the evolution of the apple tree and process of natural selection or se- sexual selection by the process of pollen and uh, pollination and bees and all this. I mean, they'll get right into that. And then they'll go back to like, keep on going back to like this algae, this blue-green algae in some ocean or something. And then they'll go back to like a non-life, an amino acid being shocked by a lightning bolt of electricity and coming to life. And then they may even come back and go into uh, the idea of the Big Bang and like a Big Bang and a big ball of energy that Big Banged and, uh, <laughs> and then set everything else in motion. And, and it, it's at that point, it's at the point of explaining this Big Bang that some scientists have that they say the laws, the natural laws of nature break down. And they'll say the laws of gravity, the laws of motion, the laws of light. And, and every, all, all the laws break down in this Big Bang theory. Have you heard the theory? Of course, you've heard similar theories to that. But the explanation in and of itself, they say that the natural laws break down. But isn't that a supernatural explanation? They're trying to, in some ways, I've heard people try to explain away God. And their answer is, oh, the Big Bang, when all the natural laws broke down. But isn't that, in and of itself, a supernatural beginning? I think so. I think it is. And so someone that, that, that would go back and explain, you know, the laws breaking down could in some ways be a very extreme deist saying that God himself is just these natural laws, these phenomenons, these laws of gravity and motion and light and et cetera, et cetera, that God himself is just these laws. That's a very, that's an extra, that's probably even further on than, than a deist view that says that God is just natural laws. And that's, that's extreme transcendence, extreme transcendence without any eminence. And so we believe as Christians that God is both transcendent, not over here, not, we don't, we're not deists. We believe that he is transcendent, yet at the same time, imminent. And so let's talk about this term, imminence. And so on your paper, I think, is some notes to talk about imminence. Um, I'll, I'll be impressed if you drew that up there. That would be cool. I like drawings. So there's deism. Imminence is, I think I spelled it wrong in your notes. Imminence. It's right in the notes. Once again, thanks for being a part of this little nightmare. <laughs> Deist is wrong. <laughs> oh, it's E-I, huh? I before E except in Deist, of course. <laughs> Forgot that rule, too. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I'm turning red, huh? I'll be okay. Don't worry about me. Just... The message is more important than the speaker. Um, imminence. God is with us. Um, this whole idea, here's the definition. We, we, we just briefly mentioned that God is with us, imminence. The defini- definition of imminence is God is pervading and present in his creation. God is pervading and present in his creation. God is in us, uh, around us, but not just like present. He's, he's involved in. He is um, guiding, preserving. It says pervading and present in his creation. Jesus talks about this. The last verse, maybe some of you have memorized this, the last verse of the book of Matthew. It's verse 28, 20. 
says something like, uh, Lo, I am with you always until the end of the age, even to the next age. I am with you always. This is Jesus' promise, the last words that Matthew records in the book of Matthew, that Jesus says, I am with you forever and ever and ever. And, and God is with us. I, if you want to turn, turn to Isaiah 64, verse 8, while I get out another science experiment here. <laughs> this one's cooler. <laughs> Isaiah 64, Eight it says this. It says, uh, I, I, I still hear people turning, so I'll give you another second. It's a really cool verse. If you're the kind of person that likes to underline and draw things um, in your Bible like I do, I just kind of like doing that. It's the way I kind of just do it. I like it. Um, Isaiah 64, 8 says, Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay you are the potter. We are the work of your hand. We are the clay. He is the potter. And so, of course, I had to bring in some clay. From uh, I bought some clay from... Uh, it's, 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 it's really weird. I bought it yesterday, and it's just not what I thought it was. It was, it was like dust. Dust clay. I didn't have that as a kid, so I didn't really know what it was. It's like it's literally like dust. It's like sand that you squeeze it together. And, and so I thought, how appropriate. Because in the book of Genesis, doesn't it say that uh, God formed man out of the dust of the earth? So that's, uh, that's what we're doing here. <laughs> it's really hard to do, by the way. I think God must have had a hard time. Although, although he's omnipotent, meaning all-powerful. So it probably wasn't that hard for him. Um, let's see. I'll set it on my cup. Uh, here, Here is... God making a human, just as an illustration. And I, it's really hard to work with, so I'm just going to make like a snowman. <laughs> so there, it's like you could come up and play with this later. It's really weird stuff. Uh, so there's, there's a man. And uh, it seems as though, I mean, I just made this thing really quickly. And... I mean, I'm already bored with it. Like, I played with this Play-Doh stuff last night, and I was like, man, it's so hard to work with. I played for, with it for about two minutes. And I was like, man, I'm bored. I'm moving on to something else. And yet our God, who created us, it talks about in Isaiah how we are the clay. He is the potter. He made us. He formed us with his hands. That he, that he made us. And then not only just made us like something that, you know, a creator can make. Like, I just made this little Play-Doh uh, snowman. But he, he then stays with us. And he's with us. And this whole idea of his love for us as a creation is just, it's mind-blowing. It's fascinating to think that, that he could be doing anything in the world, literally. I mean, he's God. He could, he could make up another world and, and do anything. And yet he chooses to, to create us. And then to not only just create us, I mean, that's, that would be enough as it is to show us his love but he continues. He stays with us. He is imminent in his creation. He's, he's chosen to be with us, to listen to our prayers, to send us his son, Jesus. Um, it's just fascinating to think about, don't you think? I mean, God creating something, I mean, th- this like this within, you know, he, it says he creates man and our humans in one day. And um, I, mean, that, I mean, I could barely tie my shoes in one day. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I mean, just one day, he creates humans in this earth in seven days, and then, and then he remains with it. He remains imminent to his creation. And so um, God does not need us. Do, do I need this clay? No, I mean, I just made this little thing, and I don't need it at all. I mean, in fact, I'm bored already. Just looking at it, thinking I'm bored. <laughs> but God, God doesn't need us at all, yet he remains with us. He remains imminent in his creation. Just amazing. Um, so that's the idea of eminence. Let's do the same thing we did with transcendence and, and make some dotted lines here. And an extreme sort of eminence without any transcendence is something called pantheism. And um, pantheism, I'll write that word right here. Uh, pan. Oh, man. Where's the word? Uh, it's in the notes. There we go. Some people are good at spelling. Not. There's like fourth graders that are spelling these really big words, and it's amazing. Uh, pantheism. Pantheism is the belief that uh, that God is in everything and is everything. Kind of like this idea of Mother Nature 
and uh, like, you know, just loving the tree because there's the spirit in the tree and, and God is the tree. He's the spirit. Um, and they talk about everything is spiritual. Everything is um, God is inside of us that we can become gods. By the way, just um, um, as a side note, Mormons, um, there's, there's big differences, I, I believe, between Mormons and evangelical Christians. And one of them is that a Mormon will believe that that they themselves will become God someday. And that God, whom, whom they worship, was once as a human being, just as we are. And we would say, whoa, 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 that, that's k- kind of a pantheistic belief that everything is God, or that we are in ourselves gods. i got some news for you. You're not God. I'm not God. God is God. We are his creation. And um, this whole idea of respecting nature, that's, that's good, because God, that's God's creation. But we don't worship the spirit of the tree. We don't worship the spirit of the eagle or the spirit of, of the sand or the rocks or the beauty of the earth. We just say it's beautiful because God created it. And so even though my wife and I, we live in Manitou Springs, Colorado. You know where that is? If you're, if you're new to town, it's like the south side of t- downtown and then go into the mountains. It's like this little mountain town where there's all these weird people. And, uh, and we just, I literally got a bumper. Maybe I already told you this, but it's still exciting to me. Uh, I got a bumper sticker two weeks ago and put it on my card that says, Keep Manitou Weird. <laughs> so, you know, just one of those things. But, uh, but despite being weird, um, there are a lot of pantheists in Manitou. And so you go to the shops and they're selling little crystals. They're like, oh, you have to release the spirit of the earth through this crystal inside of you. And we would say, that's silly. There's no spirit of the earth. It's God's earth. is God's creation. God is God, right? And so, uh, so there's this whole idea of, of, of pantheism and extreme eminence that God is so much with us that we are gods, that God is so much with us that, that, that these trees are spiritual because they're living. Um, the trees aren't spiritual. God is spiritual. He made the trees. Um, and these aren't even trees. These are plastic things. So how about that? <laughs> Anyways. Uh, pantheism. Uh, this extreme view that God is not above us at all, that God is just one of us, that God is, um, that God is the tree. And so that's really what pantheism means. Uh, Hindus are usually pantheists. They believe in the spirits of of everything that that you need to like eat the meat of a tiger or something like that to 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 get the tiger spirit inside of you. You know what? You can't do that. Um, the the spirit of the tiger. God God made the tiger. If you want God's spirit, you ask him for it. You don't have to eat tiger meat. Um, that's silly, obviously. So pantheism pantheism is an extreme extreme eminence that has no transcendence. And we worship a God who is both transcendent and imminent at the exact same time. So here's what I want you to do. Um, I want you to converse amongst yourselves for just a second. If you're sitting with some weird people, don't worry. This will only be painful for like 30 seconds. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, here's what I want to ask you. It, as you've been, I'm sure a lot of you know, I work in secular places where you know a lot of people that are not Christians and you talk to non-Christians. Um, ask yourself and think about in your head your conversations with people that, that, are, that are in some sort of in belief system yet are not Christians. Okay? And uh, ask yourself, does their belief, and obviously if they're an atheist, they would be not kind of in this model because they wouldn't believe in a spiritual world. But most people I know that aren't Christians are some, have some sort of belief system. And so ask yourself, think back to those conversations and say, does this particular person lean more to transcendence? That this God is afar and away and just maybe ideas of, of, of natural laws? Or the, per, the person in your mind that you're thinking of, do they lean more towards, oh, spirit is everything and everything is spiritual? Would you converse with your buddies at your table and ask yourselves, what do the majority of non-Christians believe about the spiritual? Is it more transcendent or is it more imminent? Ready, get set, go.
right, I'll give you like uh, 30 more seconds, and then uh, maybe we'll, maybe some of you will be bold enough to stand and share what you, what your friends have been telling you. <laughs> All right. Um, is anyone bold enough to uh, share um, so a conversation or something, or some idea that they, they had with a, a non-Christian that um, that either leans more towards eminence or transcendence? Yes. Go ahead. You think our culture tends to be more deistic? Okay. Ooh. Yes. Yeah, fascinating. Did you hear what she said? She basically said that she believes our culture is much more deistic, that, that God is much more hands-off, so that they could kind of still believe in, oh, there's a God, but I don't have to live according to his ways, basically what you said. So, yeah, great. Does anyone want to lean the other way? Ryan? Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, so someone might go to the Garden of the Gods, which is a little... It's not a garden, and it's not... There's no gods. I don't know. It's kind of a weird name. I just don't think about it anymore. When I first moved here, I was like, what? Where are we going? I don't know if I agree with this. But <laughs> it's just, it's, people will go to the garden of the gods and then just say, oh, spirits. Or I, I know a, a, a family that was non-Christian that went to the garden of the gods every, every on this particular occasion in their family, that they would go there and just kind of do their own little service and say, oh, the spirits of the garden of the gods, come be with us. But the, the spirits of the garden of the gods didn't have any power to them. And so they were just kind of, it was just kind of thanking the spirits for being spiritual and it was very, very imminent that the spirits are all with us, but have no power. Very, very, thank you for that, Ryan. Does anyone else have an insight they would like to share with the big group? Yes, go ahead. Oh, ooh, polar opposites, according to this. Yeah. Would be over here, yeah. Yeah, Muslim believes that God is all-powerful and just looking down and he's kind of mad at everything. And that you could, in Islamic faith, you could be a really good Muslim, get to the judgment chair, and God could just say, eh, I don't like the way you look. He's so transcendent. God just is God. And then the Wiccan friend would be way over here, right? Yeah, that's... Yeah, the w Wiccan belief that everything is spiritual... Um, let's just worship nature. I had some Wiccan friends that would, uh, um, or I guess they were kind of Wiccan. They were just more like, they would always talk about Mother Earth. And uh, I went cl rock climbing with a few of them one time. And as we were leaving, they were all like, thanks, Mom. Thanks, Mom. And I was like, what in the world? And I kind of realized, like, in their head, they're, they're like Mother Nature, Mother Earth, that they're in somehow thanking the spirits of that we rock climbed and we had a safe adventure and that it just really threw me off the first time i was like what because they both did it and they both did it without any like explanation or, or just they weren't being funny at all they were really just thanking mom for rock climb, mother earth it was uh as you can imagine very weird um and so uh <laughs> yeah yeah obviously the we we as christians do not believe in a God that is totally transcendent and not imminent, or that God is totally imminent and not transcendent. Um, once again, I think last week I shared this a little bit, that I've just been fascinated with this DVD um, by Rob Bell, who's written other Christian books. He's a Christian. He's a very pop culture writer. And he uh, has a DVD called Everything is Spiritual. Have you seen that DVD? A few people have. It's a, get the DVD. I'm not even sure where to get it. I just found like some clips off of YouTube and uh, watched them. And uh, he talks about how, how here's 
a rectangle in a 2D world. And here is a circle in a 2D world. A 2D means um, you have height and uh, height and width. And that's all you have. That's all that is in existence. And so if you lived in a 2D world, you would look at that rectangle and say, yes, this is truly a rectangle. It is not a circle. If it's a rectangle, it cannot be a circle. Right? Right. And if you looked at the circle, you'd say, here is a circle. It has the properties of a circle. It's round. It cannot be a rectangle because a rectangle has right angles. And so this is a circle. It is not a rectangle. But then in a 3D world where you have another dimension, they can both be in existence at the same time. Are you ready for me to show it to you? Um, So yeah, I have this marker up here. And if you were to look at this marker... Uh, straight on in a 2D world. If your world was only two-dimensional, you would look at it and say, it is a long rectangle, right? In a 2D world. But in, And so in this also 2D world, uh, you could look at it like this and say, oh, it's a circle. In the 2D world, all I see is a circle, right? But obviously you know that it is both a circle and a rectangle. It's both. It's both, Yes. It's both. And so you can look at transcendence and imminence and say, in our world, these things seem contradictory, that God is both above us and yet he's with us at the same time. He is unknowable and yet knowable at the same time. He is far off and in all control, and yet he is right with us. And he, he in some ways, you know, when we're crying and when we're upset, there's a lot of verses that talk about how God cries with us, how Jesus on this earth um, cried and he he wept he was hungry and yet he was god and and when i was trying i was trying to come up with an analogy of the whole transcendence and imminence thing like a picture and say like oh it's kind of like this and i get together with a group of people and we it's kind of like the think tank or like the we call ourselves the extreme nerds um <laughs> anyways <laughs> Uh, we get together and we chit-chat about the Sunday school lessons. And I was trying to think about a perfect analogy. What's a great analogy of both transcendence uh, transcendence and eminence at the same time? And my friend Joel said, duh, Jesus. <laughs> think about it. God in the body of a human being. I mean, can you understand another human being? Sure, there's another human being. I understand, at least I have some context for being a human being since I'm a human being myself. I can understand where you're coming from. But then at the same time, Jesus is a human. He's also God. At the same time, he was, you know, knew what the Pharisees were thinking and knew um, how, to, how to pray that to God himself and the power of God to say, Lazarus, come out. And he came out. And then, and then, of course, he, he dies and resurrects and gives us that power that we might have the same power that he had because it's God the Father who is transcendent and above all, but he's also with us. And so Jesus, I think, is a, is a really good analogy of, of God himself embodied in the flesh, God, and yet human at the same time. Let's look at Philippians. If you want to turn to Philippians, Philippians 2, 6 and 8. This is a really cool passage about the nature and deity of Jesus Christ. It's Philippians 2. Um, I'm going to read 6 through 8. And um, it's a fascinating passage. A passage that um, seems to be in the early church, like almost like a poem or a song they used to sing because it, it, it rhymes in the Greek. And it's very fascinating, very interesting. And it, it talks that this is Jesus. This who it, This is who is Jesus, the God whom we worship. Philippians 2, 6 said, Jesus, who being in the very nature God, so he's in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So he's in the very nature, he's God, yet didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant, being made in the human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And then it goes on to say that every knee will bow uh, to Jesus. And it's just this idea, the first part of that idea that Jesus, being in the very nature God, became a servant, became a human being, became one of us. It's it's the perfect analogy, the perfect example of God's eminence with us, another human being, and his transcendence, both at the very same time. And so my question for you as you're, as you're taking 
taking notes and and we're kind of getting into big words like transcendence and imminence. Now you know what those words mean, right? And you could use them in a sentence and impress the ladies, right guys? I'm just giving you material up here. That's really... (laughs) Um, There's something much bigger to this principle of transcendence and eminence than just impressing the ladies, obviously. There's something much bigger to just the ideas, the theology behind transcendence and eminence than just being um, head knowledge. That we, that we know, oh yeah, God's above us, transcendence. I know this big word. That God's um, with us, eminence, this big word. The theology behind that can radically change how you pray. As you pray, you know, God, yes, you are listening. Thank you, God, for listening. And God, at the same time, you are all in control. As you talk to friends or family members or even consider yourself and going through a really hard time or something really bad happens, kind of the problem of evil, you lose someone close to you. You can say, God, you are with me right now. You know what it's like to be sad. You know what it's like to cry. And yet at the same time, you're on your throne. That this horrible event did not surprise you. I know a couple years ago, two years ago, literally almost to the day, um, is yesterday, two years ago, um, I got a call in the middle of the night. And if you've ever been awoken in the middle of the night um, by a friend, it's usually really bad news that someone would call you. It was between 3 and 4 in the morning. And it was my friend Joe Couch. And he called and said, Joe, uh, Ben, his brother, Joe Couch's brother, Ben, and one of my best friends, he would have been in my wedding, a very close friend, he, he was in Nepal, and he's serving as a missionary. And uh, he was actually on his way to a village of a friend of a friend who, who was going to hear, they were going to bring him the message of Jesus and spend the weekend with him and talk to him about Jesus and witness to him. He was on his way to a small village on a motorcycle, and tragically, instantly, he was killed on a motorcycle accident. So here I am at 3 in the morning getting this call from Ben's brother, Joe, who's also one of my very good friends. And he said, Ben, ben has died. In a, in a motorcycle accident. And he said, we're going to get together and we're going to pray that, that somehow this report is wrong. Somehow um, there's still a chance. And then he said, we're going to get together and pray that even if Ben is dead, that God is a God who has power enough to raise the dead to life. And it just, you know, hits you like, you know, all the grief hits you and all the, like, well, God, what are you doing through all this? And as, as we prayed, as I got together that morning and prayed, and then as the, the, the day, the morning turned into the day, and then the next day, we continued to pray that, that, that this somehow God would raise his body from the dead. And, and the grief that went along with that, and yet the somehow distant hope that God does have that kind of power. And what's cool is I, I was just talking to someone uh, a couple of weeks ago. I met someone that started coming to the mill around, around that time, started coming to the mill um, when we announced that, that one of our mill missionaries, Ben, had died. And then after the mill that night, we prayed for family. We prayed. And in this prayer meeting, we were praying, God, if you, if you, you have the power to raise him from the dead. And, and we, as we were praying, someone came to our church for the very first time. A mill person came to the mill for the very first time and, and saw that and said, I want to be a part of a church that prays such intense prayers that he's never heard pray prayed before that god is imminent he, that god is god he's transcendent and imminent at the same time he he's a god that is all powerful and yet at the same time cares about us and listens to our prayers well the, the, of he didn't as we prayed for his resurrection that somehow the reports were wrong um the reports were correct that he that he had passed away and he had passed away instantly on the motorcycle that day and it was um it was a head-on collision with a semi-truck and if, if you know Ben, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't go out small. <laughs> it couldn't have been another motorcycle. It was, you know, he went, it's just the way he lived his life. He lived his life full out. He was, went to Nepal. The way he went to Nepal to be a minister, to be a missionary, excuse me, was, was just all out. Left everything, sold his Jeep, sold his, almost all his clothes, and, and went over there just to live. And said, I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to do this. And, and he did. And, and, and God took him home as he was serving, as he was going to another village to, to witness about what God had done in his life. And, and God took him away. And, and um, I just remember that time in my own life of hearing, you know, the grief uh, of losing one of my closest friends. And yet, and, and still at the same time, the unanswered prayers of, of praying a prayer of, 
God, would you raise him from the dead in Nepal? And that not coming. And, and the grief. And I really had to remind myself of these two principles. That God, this did not surprise you. This horrible event did not at all surprise you. God, you are on your throne. You have a divine will that has been in place and has been in place forever. And at the same time, you are with me. I think we can tell people that, that, you know, it's, that we don't just have to have an answer for someone going through a hard time, but to say, you know what, Jesus is imminent. You don't have to use that big word, but you could say, Jesus is with you as you're, as you're crying. And, at, you know, through that time, I was crying myself to sleep, that Jesus was right there crying with me as I was crying, that Jesus knows what, it's, knows what it feels like to weep and to, to be under sorrow and suffering. And, um, and that, that's the kind of God we worship that he is in all control. It's transcendent, that big word, and yet imminent, that big word that means that he is with us and he, he loves us, he listens to us, he cares about us. So let's, let's bow our heads and, and pray to this transcendent and imminent God. God, we come to you right now and we, are, we know that we don't even have to come to you. We know that you're here with us right now and at the same time, God, you are in all control. God, we pray for... God, we pray right now for the African missionaries from the mill going. God, we pray that you would be with them, imminent, and yet at the same time you, would tr- you are transcendent, that you will give them divine appointments, that you will, you will touch them and guide them into people that need to hear about you. God, we pray for our friends leaving uh, for the mill missions. And God, we just pray that, that you, Jesus, you as this perfect analogy of being with us and being above us at the same time, that you will be made real in our hearts and minds, that we will be able to explain to our culture who may be more deist or may be more um, pantheistic, that you are a God who is both. We worship you, Jesus, the only God that is both transcendent and imminent, that is all-powerful and yet with us, right with us. So Jesus, we give you all praise and glory. We leave here glorifying you. We leave here smiling, Jesus, that you are in all control and that you were right with us. We love you, Father. And everybody said, Amen.